queen. Are you ready to conquer the world while conquering people's hearts? To touch the soul of everyone that comes into touch with you and leave them at least 1% better? To step into your highest, most extraordinary version through learning about the things that truly matter when leading your empire? Then I warmly welcome you to the Queen of Hearts podcast. My name is Yasmin, call me YOYB, and I develop the human behind the label CEO. So without further ado, have a seat on your throne, let's dive into today's juice and make you a queen of hearts. Welcome everybody to a new episode in the Queen of Hearts podcast. I am super, super excited at 9 a.m. in the morning in Dubai because in front of me there's one glowing lady sitting that I'm so excited to speak to for weeks now. So... Welcome, Carly, to the Queen of Hearts podcast. Carly is, I I would say, I want to try to put you into words, but I cannot. So I would definitely hand you the mic and invite you to just freestyle introduce yourself the way you want. Of course. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we planned this weeks ago and we're finally here. I love how that happens. So hi, everyone. Hi um, to the beautiful Queen of Hearts listeners. My name is Carly. You might know me online as Carly Anna or the Midas Academy. So I am, I would say I'm a psychology dropout turned coach. I was so close to becoming a registered psychologist. I was months away from it and realized that it wasn't going to give me the life the freedom, the level of impact that I wanted to have. Um, and so six years ago, I pivoted my career and stepped into coaching. And since in that time, I have coached in many different facets, leadership, culture change, organizational well-being, business coaching. And now primarily, most of what I do is actually training other coaches, which is so exciting because I get to bring to them all of my psychological background, meaning that they get all of this incredible evidence-based wisdom to bring to their practice and to their clients. So that's me. Mm, so beautiful. Thank you so, so much for introducing yourself. You dropped the keyword evidence-based, and I feel like that's the thing that I want to dive into with you for now or first. So can you explain mm -hmm. maybe to all the listeners, maybe to all the German listeners as well, or to everyone who has never heard of that, what does it actually mm -hmm. mean, evidence-based? Definitely. So when you study psychology and when you're training to be a psychologist, everything that you are trained in, it, it is based in research. So high quality research that has been conducted, you know, for many, many years, both in like labs and also in applied settings to make sure that everything that you do has a backing behind it. We can trust it. We know how it works. We know why it works. We know which things to tweak if something's not working. We know the ins and outs of the models, the processes, the strategies, the therapies that we do. Um, so everything in psychology that you learn has got decades and decades and decades of research behind it. Um, and that was something that was really missing from a lot of the coaching industry um, and something that my clients kept asking me, can you please, can you please teach me? Can you please show us, you know, what you know? And um, it just became the obvious next step that I would get to, to to share with people, you know, what we can take from the fields of psychology and neuroscience, behavior, um, and translate that into what we do as coaches. 
Thank you so much for explaining. Um, do you feel limits somewhere when it comes to working evidence-based when you say it takes like, or it is backed by like decades of um, research? Yeah. I mean, it, if you start a new research, then you obviously have to invest a couple of years or a decade into research. So how do you, is, is there like, like a balance or do you handle it in a certain way where you're like, okay, we're we're definitely working evidence-based, but at the same time, we're not going to limit ourselves from something that maybe hasn't been researched yet. Well, it depends what field you're in, right? So in psychology, you would never do that. Um, everybody who's a registered psychologist has to belong to a board. They have to set certain exams. There's a whole process that we go through. And so really, this was the problem that we've seen. The problem, but also the, the benefit and the great thing about the coaching industry is that We've got so many coaches making such incredible change in their clients' lives. And if they just do a couple of extra little tweaks from what we know from psych, like the results get catapulted. But to answer your question more specifically, yes, that can be a real problem, right? We have to wait for the evidence before we can start doing what we think knows and what we think works. Um, which is exactly where the coaching industry is at right now. We actually don't have a lot of evidence of what works in coaching sessions, but we do know what works in therapy. And yes, we're not working with anxiety and depression and you know clinical disorders, but we're still working with people and we're still working with people's beliefs and behaviors and attitudes and identities. And so a lot of what we know from those other areas can be directly translated across. And we're starting to see now a body of evidence that shows that, yes, you can translate it. And yes, this does work. And I'm equally excited for the research to catch up to all of the things that we think works, that we see all of the time in coaching, right? We just don't have a base of evidence behind it. But I am so excited to one day see, ah, oh, that's why that works. You know, we, we actually will build that base of evidence for yeah. the things that we use. Totally, totally. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you dropped another keyword. It was beliefs and behaviors. And I remember, mm -hmm. like, I, I'm the Sherlock Holmes of, like, communication. You say something and I just, like, analyze the S out of it. <laughs> so I remember, I don't know if it's a, it's been a post of yours or a story or both, but you were talking about um, something along the lines of in order for you to change your behavior, you don't have to overcome your limiting beliefs or all your like limiting beliefs. So yeah. would you like to dive into behavioral change a little bit from your expert perspective? <laughs> we can. Um, but just to give you, a, I guess, a background, my master's is in behavior analysis. So I could talk for hours on it. So what do you want to know? Start me off somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. Now you intrigue me because I'm like, if there's a topic that really fascinates me, I can like talk to you for hours about that as well. Like it's, it's <laughs> we could sit here for like 10 more hours straight, for example. Um, I would say let's maybe, and it's and it's a bit challenging to put the question into words, maybe somewhere, and, and you're the expert of course, something that maybe tangible to take away for every listeners um in terms of i can implement that right now from now now on for example like um okay many yeah. are i i know from many of my clients for example or many people in the industry and they are like buying into this narrative of you have to completely like heal your mindset or your inner world or whatever it is in order for you to yeah. change all the things and i'm like no nah, 
actually like that that's never been my belief I was the person who said you can have you can be afraid and still do it like yes that doesn't correlate totally. right so yeah absolutely maybe when it comes to that like where how can someone really like stop letting themselves be stopped by mind fox or whatever arises yeah okay great question so to give you guys all a bit of background so what you were referring to just before you don't have to change all of your beliefs to be able to change your behaviors you don't have to overcome every fear you don't have to clear the emotions before you can take action change your life do the thing that scares you though sometimes those things can absolutely be helpful right but as coaches when we're either working on our own mindset and our own behaviors or when we're working with our with our clients we need to be able to understand why behaviors actually happen behaviors don't happen because we have a belief that says i have to do this or i have to do that behaviors happen because of what we get out of them so we do what works for us we do particular behaviors because we get to access something that we want like a sale from a client or we get you know engagement on social media or we get to feel good about ourselves we do things to access particular outcomes and feelings or we do it we do behaviors to avoid particular things so we you know stop showing up on social media because we're afraid that someone's gonna call us out or tell us that we're wrong or you know etc etc right so our behaviors are not controlled by our beliefs they are perpetuated by the things that happen after it so if we want to change our behavior we have to change as much as we can what happens after the behavior or we have to change our relationship to it so for example if we're avoiding showing up on social media because we're afraid of getting called out the thing that we need to do is change our relationship to the fear of getting called out right because that's a real possibility we can't remove that like that's that could really happen and it does happen and we watch it happen all of the time but you know we change our relationship to and the questions that i always ask my clients are okay so what are you afraid of that's actually that you think might happen if you were to do x behavior what are you afraid is going to happen okay so that really could happen so if that were to happen how would you handle it what would you do what skills do you already have to manage those emotions who can you go to to help you with that what would you say what would you do how would you assert that boundary and actually focus on the skills of coping that the client needs in order to face that very potential scary reality right um and so by changing the way that we relate to the outcomes of it we actually don't need to change the beliefs because the tricky thing about beliefs is that they are thoughts and thoughts happen. We're going to have thoughts all of the time that don't mean anything. Our mind just has them. And if we get into this, I guess, dynamic with ourselves where we believe that we have to have no difficult thoughts before we can take action, we're never going to take any action, right? Because your mind is going to have tricky, difficult, annoying, painful thoughts all day long and they never ever go away and so a lot of the work that i do with my clients and what i teach coaches to do is the skills to help our clients relate differently to those thoughts to allow them to be there like to just have the skills to know okay well that thought's there okay that's a human thought to have 
And while that thought is here, I can still choose how I want to show up right now. I can still choose what behaviors I want to do that are, you know, going to help me get towards my goals. I'm going to choose the behaviors that are, you know, going to show and help me to experience the values that I want to experience. That's how we change our life. Not by sitting there and being like, I have to change every limiting belief before I can take action, because really what that does is it stops us from taking action. Totally. Mic drop. I could, that, that, could have, <laughs> that, would have, that could have come from me if I wasn't lacking so many English words at this early time in the morning, but I'm, I'm giving my um, one question. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. That's also valuable. Um, do you even do quote unquote belief work then when you know that this isn't like the, the main driver to change behavior? Definitely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, <clears throat> within the work that I do, there's kind of two modalities that we use uh, that I teach coaches to help a client when they can hear a belief that might be limiting them. So one of them is what's called diffusion which is a fancy way of essentially learning to unhook from that thought. You know, when you get all caught up in it and you're like, it's all you can think about and you're like trying to push it away and like don't think that thought and you get all caught up in it and it's all you can think about. So we teach client skills to essentially unhook or defuse from those thoughts. Um, and then we also teach coaches strategies called restructuring, which comes from um, cognitive behavioral therapy which is essentially where we, and this is where most coaches are really um, trained. They, they know how to do this. This is the, the strategy that a lot of coaches will do is looking at those beliefs and restructuring them. Okay, well, let's look at it. You know, is that belief actually true? Does that belief have any truth to it? Where did you learn that? You know, who taught you that? Is there another truth that could be real? And it's really about challenging and restructuring those beliefs that happen. So there is time and place for both, I believe. At least that's where my practice falls is that, you know, sometimes there are going to be thoughts that if you look at them, logic will help you to see that actually they're not true and simple logic will help a client just work through it quite quickly. But there are other beliefs like, you know, what if a client has a belief like I'm a terrible mother and I'm a terrible mother because I did that thing, you know, all those years ago? Well, maybe that belief doesn't need to be restructured. Maybe that belief needs to be allowed and diffused from instead of challenging it and looking at the truth of it, which could actually cause more pain for a client, you know? Yeah, so, so valuable. What would you say? Is there like a quote-unquote measurement to be very analytical to identify where diffusing is way more helpful than going into it and maybe trying to restructure it and then potentially mm -hmm. causing pain to a client yeah well these are say, say that there's like one measurement no but there are a number of criteria that I would be considering for sure so I would be looking at um in my head I would be looking at like is there likelihood that we'll be able to help this client find proof or evidence that it's not true? Like, can I see tangible evidence in their life that that belief is not true? Um, and how strong is that belief? You know, is that something that they have held on to for years and years and years? Like the belief, like I'm not worthy, you know, that's not something that I would really dig into and try and restructure. Um, because it's really, it's, it's one of those really hard things that like, what is worthy, you know, they've got such a different idea about what worthy is, 
that is the kind of thing that's going to be a lot easier to teach them the skills of defusing. Um, if it's a belief that has a lot of like pain and trauma caught up in it, I wouldn't go into restructuring simply because we don't work with trauma as coaches. Um, I would go more down the pathway of diffusion. Um, what else? And I would probably look at, um, you know, has this belief come up a lot of times for this client as well? If it's something that we've done a lot of work on, maybe it's going to be easier for us just to restructure it a little bit and move on. Um, so yeah, there's lots of criteria, lots of things. And this is where like your professional judgment as you develop your skill set and as you spend, I know you've spent a lot of hours coaching, um, you're very well trained, like it's the it's the kind of thing that just comes with time and with coaching a lot of different people and coaching a lot of different problems is that you start to learn, oh, okay, so in this situation, that's the best pathway. And in this situation, that's the best pathway, which I think is great because then we have multiple tools that we can use for multiple different problems and clients, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I just love how much you stand behind like coaching excellence and like mastery actual mastery yeah. I, I don't know how that is like I'm pretty quote-unquote new to the English speaking market and I know mm -hmm. that in Germany there's no such thing as a regulation of needing to be certified yeah. so that's also like I don't I definitely want to don't want to assume like bad things but for some people that's an invitation to be lazy in my personal opinion um yeah. and I, I just love to meet people that are as behind mastery as I am so that's just so yeah. so beautiful it's so good um, when it comes to mastery and your coach do you call it coach training or certification in your own words the the Midas Academy uh so yeah the Midas coach I I actually call it a program these days there is a sort there is a certification and quote unquote um like at the end of it that people can sit but to give everyone a little bit of background in the English like speaking like coaching world as well there is no regulation either and so any certification doesn't have to meet any kind of standard so yes I provide a certification but it doesn't actually really mean anything and so I'm very clear about that with any client is like you're welcome to do it and we will review your coaching sessions and you get to sit an exam and you get plenty of feedback about you know the way that you're doing things but the certification is more for you than it is to meet any kind of external qualification because there is no such thing so I call it a program Thank yeah. you. Thank you also for being so honest about that. I yeah. really much love that. So what would you say? I mean, the question of what did the process look like of coming up with the program, with the training, with the certification is a pretty broad one. So specifically from a lens of what we've already talked about, like beliefs mm -hmm. and behaviors, for example, what would you say were mm -hmm. the most maybe challenging beliefs and behaviors you got to work with and work through in order for you to create that amazing program what a good question do you mean for myself like what beliefs and behaviors oh great yeah. question okay so i i doubted what i had to teach for such a long time because it's been second nature to me like so i was a i was a therapist 
for seven years before I became a coach. So I, I lived and breathed this stuff for ages. It was just second nature. And so when I came into coaching, I didn't, I've never really, I mean, it's hard to say because I didn't come into coaching with no knowledge, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to come in and not have all of the knowledge that I have and all of the experience that I have. And so for a long time, even though my clients were asking me and asking me and asking me, I just resisted it because I was like, I don't have that much to teach you. Like, come on, like, no, this stuff is obvious. And then over time, I got kind of worn down by oh shit, people actually don't know this. And I started noticing it popping up in people's free content. I would see all of these myths about transformation and about beliefs and about behaviors, et cetera, and coaching that I was seeing pop up in people's content. And I was like, oh God, people actually, they need this. And so it got to the point where I was like, oh fuck, I really have to put my fears aside. My fears of getting called out, my fears of like calling people up. And I actually have to decide to do this. And I think the way that I made that decision was the best way that I could have made it because this whole program has always been about doing something for someone else. It hasn't ever been about me. Like it hasn't ever been about like, oh, this would be a really good business model or like, you know, that's a smart strategy. It's always been about my clients need this and their clients need this and the industry needs this. And so I think that in itself has kept me going through so many of those fears, though they have still been there. They have absolutely been there. Like so many times when you come from research and academia, you know, we're so careful about saying what truth is and what we know. And so having to translate research into a way that coaches can digest that and use that, I was like, oh my God, am I going to get this wrong? Am I going to teach this wrong? And so it has taken me so much longer than I thought that it was going to, because I really, I wanted to get it right. And that was something that I really had to check in myself because there was a lot of like, perfecting that was going on I was trying to perfect everything and my like previous behavioral history is like trying to be a perfectionist and I've worked on that so much and but I actually got to a point where I realized the perfectionism was actually serving me it was actually required because I wanted to do it to such a high level um, so there has been an immense amount of transformation that I have gone through in the creation of these modules and because I'm creating them as I go I know what I'm creating and I have the umbrella every month I go deep into that work myself I go deep into that work with my clients and I like I check everything out essentially so it's been it's been such a gratifying process but there have been so many fears and I guess like if anyone is listening a really good lesson to take away from that is like make it about someone else because then your fears get a lot smaller. Make it about what you're going to give to somebody else because your fears just don't stand a chance if that's the case. It's like, I have to do this for these people. It's not about me getting something. It's for them. Love that. And God, I feel like so similar to you and how you think and how you view the world and move through it. I just find it so amazing who you get to virtually meet and maybe even personally read so if, if that's ever in within our reach I would love yeah. to uh, what would Me you too. say 
how long did the did the process take because you said it took way longer than it could have taken you how long did it take you to create and set up quote unquote the core foundation of your certification yeah so we to give you guys context we are about six months in to a 12 month program so i have created six of 12 modules um, and so when I first outlined all of the modules, it was going to be like a module a month. And then as I got into it, I realized that what I wanted to teach within each module was so much bigger. So the modules are actually quite a lot. Um, and so because of that, they've taken me a lot longer. So I think, no, I think we have five modules in, but it's taken me six months. So I've had to like push things out a little bit, but, um, it's been, I guess it's taken a lot more of my week than I'm used to working, but it's been really cool in a way because um, I've gotten to really get my like teeth into it. I don't know if that's a saying in German, but like I've really gotten to go deep and I loved it. What do you say in German? Is there a translation for that? Yeah, I actually have to think so. It's not teeth. Yeah. Ah, let me think. It would be something like... Give me a second. <laughs> so so I think a, a translation could be, but that's also more Denglish. It's a mix of German and, and English. It would be like uh, Reinerden, that would be like nerding into something. Yeah. Kind of. Love that. So we yeah. could use that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nerding out, nerding into something. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So it's been a lot of work, but it has been really fun, amazing work. Beautiful. And I, I can so, so feel that. I yeah. totally. And I just I just love that you found into that and you found your way into that and created that and that it's coming from such a pure and beautiful and loving place and space. And that's totally also like the definition of the queen of arts so i'm ultra yeah. glad that you decided to come on here and felt pulled to do this interview with me um to slowly end this and honor your mm -hmm. precious uh, time the thing i want to dive into with you <laughs> to end mm -hmm. this episode would actually be the the imposter syndrome What's it, what's your take on that? How do you support clients when they come with that to you? Just like you felt it when you were like, oh God, what do I have to teach? Like everything is so obvious. Why would I make like a program or a certification out of it? I know yeah. these thoughts myself and I get asked for almost like a couple of years now why when is your certification coming and all the things and I'm at that exact like <laughs> stage where I'm like what what do I have to teach like totally yeah. totally playing it down but also when your clients come to you with whatever expression of imposter syndrome what do you feel like is your best way to handle that to to work on that and through that with them good question so I have an interesting take on imposter syndrome And that I think there's actually kind of two different types of it. And we have to get clear on which type it is. Is it imposter syndrome because you actually don't know enough? Because sometimes that is the case. And I think there is this very popularized, you know, view of imposter syndrome that you just have to push through it. You're fine. But I actually think in some ways that has contributed to a lot of people 
um, in the coaching industry, especially working out of their depth. They actually don't know how to do a lot of the things that they are selling. And it's created a lack of trust and a lack of integrity. So I think there are some cases where imposter syndrome is a is a feeling of I don't know enough because you actually don't know enough. And so it's important to be honest with yourself about that. Do I actually know what the best practice is here? Do I actually have some kind of, you know, framework or research or experience that I can fall back on that shows that I actually know or results that I know what I'm talking about? Um, so that would be the first one is like checking that it's not just actually the truth. <laughs> and then the second one is, and I think this tends to be very often um, with women, especially is like, we just downplay what we're good at. And um, I don't know about Germany, but in Australia and New Zealand, we have this, I guess, thing called tall poppy syndrome. Have you heard of that before? No? No, I haven't. No. So you like poppy the flower, right? And, and you get like fields of poppies. And if you are the tall poppy, you stand out and people notice you. I don't know why that name is the name of it. But essentially we have this culture of like, don't be too good because then you'll stand out. And so I coach a lot of women and a lot of entrepreneurs from Australia and New Zealand because that's where I'm from. And so I deal with that a lot is that actually they're not giving themselves enough credit for how good they actually are because we have been taught to play down how good you are. We've been taught not to own that, not to, you know, scream that from the rooftops. And so it's actually really interesting. I'm going to generalize here and say that when I deal with imposter syndrome from clients from Australia and New Zealand, it's usually not true. Like they actually do know what they're doing. And more often than not, when I deal with imposter syndrome from like clients from America, for example, because their culture is very much about like showing how much you know and like, you know, standing out and being, you know, really, you know, tooting your own horn is that sometimes that can actually lead to overthinking yourself. Now, don't at me, anybody who's listening, who's American and like you really deal with imposter syndrome. It's just an interesting like observation that I have made. So there you go. <laughs> so you wouldn't say that's evidence-based right I would not say that that is evidence-based <laughs> I, I love it I love it thank you so much and also for your honesty and your observation of course and uh having the courage to share that so openly um if if there's a client in front of you and you have clearly identified it's imposter syndrome quote-unquote number one you actually don't know enough yet Mm-hmm. how would you say did you have like uncomfortable situations quote-unquote confronting them and then them being like hurt or sad or like how do you deal with that and how do you like transport that in a quote-unquote kind manner but also in yeah. a manner where you don't people please of course totally well I think I mean coming back to like the core of coaching is asking questions right? It's not telling someone anything. So it's not like I've ever had to deliver the news and be like, I'm sorry, you're actually not that good at what you said <laughs> you're good at. Because <laughs> I, mean, I mean, most of the time I actually don't know, right? So it's always a questioning <laughs> process. <laughs> sorry, you're actually terrible. <laughs> um, 
it's a questioning process, right? It's like, okay, well, often I would go down the pathway of like, what's best practice? You know, like, what do you know is best practice in this area? You know, who do you have to model? You know, what evidence do you have to say that what you do measures up to that? How do you know that what you do works? Let's look at client results. Let's look at, you know, the evidence that you do have. And sometimes, and it's not always the case, sometimes there is a few things that they're like, oh, actually, I do need to get better at that thing. And I would actually feel a lot more confident if I spent some time doing that thing. So it's always a realization that they come to by themselves. And I would, I would never sit back and be like, hey, actually, you're terrible at that. <laughs> um, it would be a let's have a conversation about this and see where you can improve and, and where your strengths can become better strengths and where your stretches can become strengths, you know? Always looking at it from a perspective of how can we can help this client be as best as they possibly can. Perfect. I love that. And I love that you're not like derobing from the coach role in those moments because that's also, and I I strongly believe you, you also teach that, but especially in moments where the coach feels like they quote unquote know more than the client where you're already out of the coaching principle of the client as the expert. Um, I feel like many are very tempted to go into mentor mode or into consultant mode and that's fine with consent, but like your, your attitude totally matters and how well you can hold yourself in the coach role when you're actually mm -hmm to be a coach so I love that you brought this up exactly it's not our opinion that matters We're, who are we to decide if our, if our client is adept at something or talented at something it's it's for them to decide and for them to be having those honest conversations with themselves and we just facilitate that yeah absolutely to end one final question from my end, because before I ask the whole like and total final question of this podcast, what would you say? And that might be very, very broad, but I'm still going to ask it this way. What's Kali's top tip that you want to leave every listener with for today? Oh, what's one thing that ties everyone together? What's like one theme about every listener, do you think? So I can tailor my tip. Good question. Definitely hungry for more, for excellence, for growth. And at the same time, I feel like most listeners are also very, very good at slightly downplaying themselves. So mm. I would say like this, this dissonance of I want more and I can see myself on that level already. And at the same time, like the, the German humbleness of don't be too loud about yourself. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. So I have a few things to say. Nobody is ever going to give you more permission than you can give yourself. If you're waiting for someone to give you permission, you are going to be waiting your entire life. Like for real, if you want something, you have to be the one who decides and goes for it. And a lot of my teachings, I talk about, I call it the life changing magic between desire versus decision. And a lot of the time, and people get pissy at me when I <laughs> talk about this because they think that they have decided to go for something. There is a very big difference between desiring something and deciding something. Desiring something means that you are waiting, wishing, hoping, you're kind of half in, 
Deciding means that there is no other option. Come hell or high water, at some point, you are going to have that experience. You are going to have that reality. And you follow that through with raising your standards in every area that need to be raised in order for you to have that. And I think that I think that it's one of the teachings that I have become most well known for amongst like my clients is because they repeat it back to me. And when people first hear me talk about it, they get annoyed because they're like, I, but I have decided I set the goal. It's like, but you haven't though. But you haven't. You haven't followed through. So give yourself permission. Give yourself the radical permission that only you can give yourself and follow through and have the hard conversation about what it actually means to follow through on that because nobody else is going to hand it to you on a silk planner. Damn. And I love your body language when you were talking about that, like the, the <laughs> head movements and the facial expressions. And I was like, yes, girl. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. Yep, that's who I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it also it also totally expresses and shows that you like you're serious about that because your body wouldn't yeah. follow if you weren't that serious about what you just shared with us. So beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I love that. So the final question would be, Kali, in your view, what defines a queen of hearts? What makes a queen of hearts a queen of hearts? Oh my God. Oh my God, what a beautiful question. I believe that a queen of hearts is defined by being the queen of your own heart. And what I mean by that is, do you know your heart? Do you know what you want? Do you know what you want for other people? Do you know who you want to be for other people? Do you know the influence that you want to have on this planet? And are you honoring that? Are you the queen of your own heart? So beautiful. Oh my God. Thank you so, so much for sharing that, Kali, taking the time, being here, having this conversation with me and sharing all of your wisdom with the listeners and me as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I bow virtually. (laughs) Thank you. That was so much fun. I'm glad to hear that. I will definitely link everything we can find about you in the show notes. So head over to the show notes, find Kali, give her a follow, sign up for her amazing programs and just enjoy the magic of this woman. Kali, thank you for being here. And I can't wait to release this episode. It's been such a joy. Thank you so much for the invitation. And thank you everybody for making it all the way through as well. You're all amazing. 